Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. All right, wow, not sure what Gandalf is doing in Harry Potter, but wow, uh, Harry's all grown up, it looks like, right? Hey, I want to begin with a confession. I have not read any of the Harry Potter books. My wife has read every single one. I've seen maybe a couple of the movies, uh, but I think that's because I find the story about the author, the life of the author, a little more interesting than the Harry Potter stories themselves. Uh, some of you have heard of J.K. Rowling. She is the British author of the Harry Potter series for which she conceived the plotline for this while on a train trip from Manchester all the way to London in 1990. Now, how many of you, confession time, have read a Harry Potter novel? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a witch in the second row, a wicked guy in the back, right? Kind of interesting. Uh, Even if you're not into these, you're, you're not alone, that's for sure. All told, her books have sold over 400 million copies worldwide. This is incredible. They have made, you know, literary phenomenon. It's got everybody reading. Harry Potter is now a global brand worth $15 billion, it's estimated. And the last four books that she wrote have set the record as the fastest selling books in literary history. And this series has gone global. It's been translated to over 65 languages. And let me tell you this, this has made J.K. Rowling a very wealthy woman, okay? You can do the math a little bit. The 2008 Sunday Times Rich List estimated Rowling's fortune around $800 million, which is just south of a billion, okay? Maybe she can get that next year. That makes her the 12th richest woman in the British Empire. So whether you like the fantasy series or not, you have to acknowledge J.K. Rowling is one of the most influential writers in 21st century culture. But the reason I find her life story compelling is not because of her success, but the failure that preceded it. See, aside from the Potter stories, Rowling is kind of known for her rags-to-riches life story. Uh, It's a true story. She actually went from being a single mom living on welfare to a multi-millionaire within five years. Can you imagine that? How'd she do it? Check this out. Last year, Rowling delivered the commencement address at Harvard University, and she titled her speech, The Fringe Benefits of Failure. And she said the only reason she had become a success was because she had been a failure, not in spite of it. It wasn't rags to riches. She said, because there, I, wouldn't have been, I would have had riches had there been no rags. Compelling idea here. That's the theme of her speech, The Fringe Benefits of Failure. She said this, Seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. The fears that my parents had had for me and that I had had for myself had both come to pass, and by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Isn't that heartening words, graduates? (laughs) Those of you who just finished college, you're like, woo, go, J.K. Rowling. Commentators said that the point of her theme, that failure is foundational to success, was completely lost considering the audience. I mean, these were Harvard graduates, so their their understanding of failure, they got that about as much as a puppy understands a new gate, (laughs) which is to say, not very. (laughs) 
That's because we live in a culture that worships success. The, the up and to the right side of life is what I like to call it. In church world, we have a special word for, for it. We, 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 say, uh, we call it living a blessed life. He's living a blessed life, man. And we like to focus in on a very particular Western Christian version of that, which says this. Hey, if you love God and you work hard and you follow Jesus, you will be blessed. Yeah, that is to say successful. And we, and, and we summon any number of biblical passages, you know, to support that. But sometimes, as J.K. Rowling incisively noted, only by tasting failure at times do we actually mature and become a success with significance. Maybe you're here today and you are currently failing at something important to you. I don't know. Maybe it's your, your marriage. Colleen and I, the reason I say that, we were talking with friends who are, they're on the brink of divorce, honestly, just a real candid moment. Um, they are barely holding on. It is like they're holding on by a thread and you could see the pain on their faces as we talk to them. You can see there was no dialogue this way. It's just kind of at each other, but totally missing each other. And things were tense. And they were talking to us and just like, we're ready to pack it in. And these are people who, who love God, but they're just feeling like they can't make it. And kids are involved and it's just a mess. And they're hurting. And they're, they're saying, our marriage is failing. Or maybe your business has failed. Or, or your career is tanking. Or maybe, maybe you failed in ministry. And you know there's truth to Rowling's words, a truth that I think has much larger spiritual significance in real life than any of the fantasy stories hold themselves. And that's why I want to use Rowling's theme today, not Harry's, for our talk, which is really about the fringe benefits of failure. For those of you who are struggling, maybe this has been a difficult season or you, you feel like you're in a wrestling match with God. I'm hoping today this will give you a fresh perspective and actually hope on whatever it is you are currently struggling through. The biblical text I want to appeal to is not the story of a guy named Harry. It's the story of a guy named Jacob. And I want to invite you to turn there with me. It's told in the book of Genesis, chapter 32. We'll look at the first, uh, or verses 22 through 32. It's on page 24 there. Some of you guys know this. Jacob is one of the most significant um, men in the story of God because he was the third link to God's plan to start a nation from Abraham. Remember, there was Abraham, and then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. Yeah. And the story of Jacob's life is compelling because his story is kind of an up and to the right kind of story. He was a rocket ship. He was one of the smartest, most savvy men in the Bible. And prior to this account we read, Jacob knew nothing but blessing. <laughs> he was a successful businessman. He owned land. He had lots of flocks and herds. He was a successful husband. He actually didn't have just one. He had two wives. So double the pleasure right there, okay? And as I said, life was up and to the right for Jacob until he had a shattering encounter that left him limping, humbled in more ways than one. In many ways, he learned the truth that sometimes our struggle with God in life is God's invitation to totally redefine what success truly means. Follow along with me. Genesis 32, we'll start at verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you 
bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. Verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The story of Jacob tells us a couple things about success and failure, particularly in spiritual terms. Two big ideas here that really challenge our notion of what it means to be blessed or successful. And if you're struggling right now, honestly, these may help you interpret what you are currently going through. The two big ideas here, if you're taking notes of this, you've got to go directly to God for blessing. And two, if you truly want to be blessed by him, you've got to let him lame you. And that's challenging, isn't it? Because nobody likes to go through life with a limp, do they? Nobody, even, it's awkward, especially for me. I mean, if you are an an A-type personality, we all like our leaders to be strong and self-confident with a can-do spirit. That's me. I don't don't naturally relate to the idea of failure or pain. In fact, this story I see as a painful moment in Jacob's life and that I would have rather avoided because for me, honestly, life has been, for the most part, incredibly blessed by God. (laughs) With few exceptions, I have known mainly in my life up And to the right, I didn't know poverty or failure like J.K. Rowling. I did pretty well in school. (laughs) I found the love of my life at an early age. My wife, Colleen, God gave us two beautiful children. I am deeply grateful for them. I love you guys. I I love this church. I love our mission together. In fact, most days I wake up pretty excited about what the future holds. I don't mean like I don't have tough times or something. I've shared with you about my dad's cancer We have challenges, but overall, the arc of my life story, my story, Tim's story and God's story, is up and to the right, what you might call blessed, which is why I don't naturally relate to this text, honestly. How many of you feel that way? Kind of like, I don't know, you're embarrassed, you're like, I don't want to make anyone jealous. Just See, if you're someone who has experienced significant failure or hard times in life, or you had a shattering experience from which you walked away wounded, or hurting with a limp. You can relate to this. This past week, one of my kids had a play date, and the mom dropped the, the kid off at our house, and uh, she had this look on her face. I could see something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. And I said to Colin, I said, is everything okay? And, and she said, no. She said her husband just left. And that leaves her with three young children under the age of five, three of them. Young mom, whose husband just up, said, enough. And she's gone, and he's gone, <laughs> and she's all alone. And she had this look on her face that was just kind of dazed and confused. She's always been engaging in my experience, and she just kind of looked, just boom, like she'd gotten punched. Just kind of limping through life now. She, all she could say to Colleen, she goes, I don't even know how I start picking up the pieces of this. Maybe your family's dysfunctional, 
or your childhood you spent all alone for most of your life, you know what it's like to walk along with a limp. Or maybe you're limping financially. You've lost your job or or business is bad or whatever whatever it is. You're you're in debt. (laughs) No one returns your calls. And maybe for the first time in your life, you actually feel fear. And you identify with Jacob's story because success or blessing has been very difficult for you to grab a hold of in life. Either perspective, it's very human. But the story of Jacob teaches us two things about success and failure for each of us. You've got to go directly to God for blessing. And second, if you really want to be truly blessed by him, you've got to let him lame you. Ouch. Who wants to hear that message? Let's take the first. You've got to go directly to God for blessing. (laughs) I mean, from early on, the world teaches us that to be blessed, you actually don't, you don't lean on anybody. In fact, you need to rely mainly on who? <laughs> you, your wits, okay? And that's what Jacob did. You guys might know this. Jacob at birth had a twin brother named Esau. And from the moment of their birth, it was this, this constant struggle. Genesis records how he actually came out of his mother's womb grasping Esau's heel. In other words, locked in sibling rivalry from the very get-go. And to make matters worse as a young man, Jacob's father loved the older brother more. He favored Esau over Jacob. And there's really nothing you can do. Is there, parents, to really stab a kid in the heart than to play favorites? I really like the older one best. So from the start of his life, Jacob learned what it took to get ahead. The earliest episode you may recall is in Genesis 25. You can turn there. These are amazing passages if you want to read on your own this week. Jacob tricks his brother Esau to sell him his birthright. For a bowl of stew, it's kind of interesting. Birthright is just the honor that you gave a firstborn kid. In other words, the firstborn got the double portion of the family's inheritance. But Esau was kind of a redneck. <laughs> he like kind of worked in the fields, and he came in one day, and he was like, I'm hungry. And Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you trade me your birthright. He was training for car salesmanship. A bowl of hungry man stew in exchange for the double inheritance. And Esau was a bit of a redneck, so he said, Deal! <laughs> And so Jacob tricked his brother out of his inheritance and actually lived up to his birth name because the name Jacob actually means he deceives. Do you see that there in your your footnotes? So early on, Jacob learned to use his intelligence to gain blessing. He was savvy. He was cunning. Let's call it gifted. Um, As a teenager, I remember when I first discovered I was similarly gifted. Uh, I I was babysitting some neighborhood kids, and one night... We were going through their, you know, their, their baseball cards. When I recognized the Don Mattingly rookie, you guys remember this? Like in the 80s, Don Mattingly rookie, big deal uh, kind of deal. The kids were only seven or eight who I was babysitting, and they had no idea of the value. But I knew it was worth $20. And I was like, big moment. So before their parents came home, I convinced the kids I was babysitting to make a deal. I said, if you sell me the entire box, I will give you eight shiny quarters. See all these? <laughs> And they were like, whoa, deal. <laughs> and that's when I learned the power of relying on your wits. And when my parents found out, of course, I, you know, I, I got in all sorts of trouble. I mean, if you do that as a kid, you get punished. If you do that as an adult, you get promoted. They make you president of the bank, okay? You, that, that wins in life. The point is, from early on, the world teaches us to be successful. Rely on your strength, your cunning, your wits. Be street smart, be savvy, and you will get ahead. And Jacob did that over and over throughout the entire first half of his life. If you're in your teens, your 20s, or 30s, this is Jacob. And if you look at Genesis 27, then Jacob actually deceives his father at the end of his life to get 
Esau's blessing. It's kind of a hilarious account because Esau was a hairy dude. And so Jacob actually put on a disguise made of like, you know, goat's fur and everything like that. And he, and he draw close. He said, oh, bless me, father. He's like, are you really Esau? He said, yeah, reach out, feel me. He's like, oh, you're a hairy boy. I will bless you now. <laughs> and so he blesses him. You read this for yourself, Genesis 27. But he deceives his own father because he wanted to be blessed so badly in life. And then he hightailed it out of town when Esau discovered that he was outsmarted again. And he says this, isn't he rightly named Jacob? His brother yells. He's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my what? My blessing. See, the story of Jacob is essentially the story of a guy desperate to be blessed. He's desperate. From early on, he was desperate to have somebody from the outside affirm him and tell him, I approve of you. You are my favorite. That's what blessing is. He was desperate to hear his father say this, so much so that even under false pretenses, he just said, I want to hear these words. You're my son, and I love you, and I approve of you. You're my favorite apart from anything I do. You are my boy. And he spent the first half of his life in this desperate search for blessing, and he relied on his own strength, his intellect, his talent to make that happen. And guess what? So do you, so do I. We all do this. We all do this to some degree because we all need somebody to affirm us at our core, to let us know we are valuable, that we are worth being loved, that we are worth something, that they delight in us. And that's what the desire is for blessing. It's a stamp of success that affirms us from the outside. So you can't bless yourself. Nobody can put hands on themselves and say, I am now blessed. I am my own favorite. No, you need someone from the outside said, you are a blessing. They got to look in on you. So if you're smart or you're skilled like Jacob, guess what you do? You learn to work it. You learn in life how to pull levers, how to push buttons, how to make everything work, whose hands to shake, what's smiling, and the worst thing possible happens, it works. You actually get what you're after. And you know what happens? Things go up and to the right. And success cripples you. Because you hit a ceiling. You can't grow spiritually any farther because success teaches you never show weakness. Those of you who are successful, you guys know this. If you're a Christian, if you're a first time, you've maybe never heard this. Christians acknowledge this. We say this. You've maybe heard the teaching that there is strength in weakness. How many have heard that, right? Oh, there's, oh, right, yeah, it is. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's this kind of upside-down teaching at the core of the Christian faith. It's this statement of dependence, of humility, saying I actually am reliant on God's power, and apart from him, I can't do anything. I'm a cripple. Now, here's the deal. Actually, this even says more than that. It says, only when we come to the ends of our rope can we experience the power of God in our lives. Otherwise, we'll work out of our own strength. Here's the deal. Intellectually, scripturally, we get that and say, put it on a bumper sticker. That's a very humble thing to say. The problem is, experientially, those of us who have relied on our talent to be successful in life, we don't get it. We know how to say it, but we don't get it in here. 
And that's because we've had the ability to find a workaround for whatever problem comes up in life, like Jacob did. Whether it's in work or your relationships. And although we would acknowledge, I'm most strong when I'm weak, our experience says just the opposite is true. Functionally, because of our success, we believe in our fiber that actually to really be blessed in life, for the most part, depends primarily on me. I mean, when it comes down to it. Now, look, we'd never say that, would we? We'd never admit that. But I've done it myself. Uh, Early in ministry, confession time. Early in ministry, um, I worked like a madman. (laughs) I mean, 70, 80 hours was crazy. I was always stressed. I neglected my wife at times. But I was pretty sure, as our church was kind of growing, that it was pretty much up to me to keep all the plates spinning. So I tried to juggle as fast as I could. I, I got pretty good at it. I was a good juggler. You almost can't help it. If you are ambitious or you are talented in in almost any way, you're used to being the person who makes it happen. People call you the go-to person. And for the most part, if your life has been up and to the right, you kind of can't help it because you're smart. You learn which levers you pull, which plays to call, how to get people to, to go along with your ideas or your ways of thinking. That's what successful leaders do. Any obstacles that come up, you're like, all right, we'll figure out a workaround. Problem is, when that MO becomes an everyday reality in your life, you come to believe that success depends mainly on your strength and your ability. How do you like them guns? Yeah. Which, of course, is the opposite of grace, which says, We are nothing, we have nothing. And apart from God, we have the ability to do nothing of lasting value. In fact, the Bible calls our greatest achievements vapor when done in our own strength. Because in God's shadow, guess what? We're all spiritual beggars. Every one of us, no matter how accomplished, all fall short of the glory of God. That's how the Bible puts it. All Christians acknowledge that central truth. That's why we actually put our trust in Jesus, why we ask him to save us. Because you know what we're doing? When we say, Jesus, save me, we're saying, you know what? I'm actually not that strong. (laughs) I can't save myself. And so we actually admit our shortcomings, and we come to Christ at the cross with open hands and saying, bless me. I got nothing. I throw myself on your grace. And what we discover there is amazing. If you're not a Christian, you understand? We come to the cross with open hands. We say, I got nothing. And there God meets us, and he has his hands open. He says, come, my hands are nailed to this cross because I'm here to embrace you. I don't condemn you. I'm here to live in your heart and live my life out through you. Stop trying so hard. And all of a sudden we're accepted by God. We can begin walking again because a new power comes into us. That power is called the Holy Spirit. It's God's power in us. And he begins living out through us. And life just takes on a whole new meaning because we work out of a new strength. It's not just our strength, but it's God's spirit. And life opens up because we actually, this is in theory how this works, okay? Because we don't pursue our own selfish agenda anymore out of our old human strength. We are actually now what? Dependent. I'm dependent on God. For every breath, every thought I have, every word I say, every relationship, I'll screw it up if I don't have God in here and taking control of me. That's how the gospel works, and we get it, but it's theory for a lot of us. 
Because the reality is, you won't learn that until you get your legs kicked out from underneath you and taste failure, maybe for the first time. Which is not a pretty process, is it? I had uh, coffee recently with a friend who is going through a ton at work. Just pure hell. Uh, be honest, that's what he, how he described it. Some of you are like, oh, that's me. I, uh, that's me. <laughs> he is like, Tim, I've never had this experience. Just the economy tanking. His clients are getting scared. And, uh, and he's like, I've never felt this way before at work. His, his career has pretty much been up and to the right, okay? Very talented guy. Um, but he said, you know what? He goes, I feel like I'm floundering for the first time in my life. He goes, yeah, I go in. I don't know what to expect. All the, all the plays I used to, you know, pull all the, all the strategies, we, none of it works anymore. And I'm totally nervous about what's going to happen. And you know what? I, I was, it was scary because he was describing this. He's like, I got this, you know, mortgage. He's got kids there, all that stuff. And man, I fell for him. I didn't judge him. I related to him. I relate to that. And maybe you do too. As I said, early on in life, I was saved. But in my ministry, I worked as if my salvation depended on me alone. Work consumed me, stress engulfed me, criticism devastated me. If someone said one bad thing like, hey, you sure sweat a lot up there on camera. You look like a hog in heat. I'd say, oh, okay, God bless you. You know, just play that over and over and over in my mind. I can't believe you said that. Why? Because the breath of my life was to have someone come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Tim, that was such an amazing message that changed my life. That was my Holy Spirit. That, that, that was where I, that, that filled me up. That was how I defined success and what my heart was fundamentally resting in. But you see, that blessing never satisfies, does it? Because you notice it never, it never lasts more than five minutes until the next comment or, or crisis just kind of tanks you. And most pastors will never admit this, okay, but, but a lot of pastors are like terrorized. I'm just telling you how it is my little world here, my little church world. Most pastors are terrorized by what they call noses and nickels. I actually heard someone say that. Well, you know, noses and nickels. I was like, what's that mean? They're like, attendance in your budget. I was like, what? They're like, that's how you know if Sunday work. It's like, that's like so crass and unspiritual, and it is, but that's how a lot of ministers think, because we're broken people. And if attendance goes up or a church is growing, we feel blessed. The church must be blessed. God's given us his thumbs up. Tim Keller, he is the author of The Reason for God. I'm quoting him here. He says this. He says, in ministry, though we communicate we're saved by grace, we essentially base our significance, our self-worth. Our salvation is functionally based in our hearts on how our ministry is doing. Therefore, our hearts are contradicting what? Our message. That's how the trap gets laid in my little church world. But what's your world like? If you're in the business world, it's not maybe about the size of your flock, but about the size of your stocks, right? You're under constant pressure to come up with the next idea that will expand your portfolio. Jacob was an expert at this. In, in Genesis 30, again, if you read the account of his life, it's hilarious. He, he goes after a woman to bless him. She thinks that may be finding a beautiful woman. Here in G Genesis 30, he increases his wealth by outwitting his father-in-law, Laban. Basically, he says, I'm going to work for you, but I, here's how I want you to pay me. Don't pay me up front, but pay me with all the spotted and speckled sheep that you have. And Laban's like, deal. Jacob's a trickster, though. So he takes all this, the, 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 the strong animals who are spotted and speckled when they're in heat, and he mates them all together, and they come out 
speckled. Genesis 30 says this. In this way, the man grew exceedingly what? Exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and men servants and camels and donkeys. In other words, Jacob would have won survivor. <laughs> outwit, outsmart, outplay. And I'm blessed. The problem is, up and to the right never lasts forever, does it? That's not how life goes. Because sometimes, when we least expect it, we got the legs kicked out from under us. And now profits dry up. Or people stop coming. Or your, or your kids go off the deep end. I was talking, with, I just feel like I've had these conversations recently that just are, are, there's a theme running through our church community of people just getting crushed. People getting battered by life and waves and curveballs. Um, the one guy I was talking to, uh, his youngest daughter is kind of just going off the deep end. She is running with the wrong cr- crowd, just kind of sleeping around, smoking pot, the whole thing. And I'm talking with him. He goes, I, we don't know what to do, Tim. He goes, we're embarrassed. We are devastated. She's out of control. I don't know how this happened. We, 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 we sent her to, to, to Christian school. She went to a good college. We did all the right things. And now she's this adult making these terrible choices. And his face was so red that it was almost like he was going to bleed. And I could see it was his father's heart. Because you see your kid making self-destructive choices. And See, even if we look to something good, like family, it'll never work. Because then the blessing is all up to you to make it work. Well, if I was a better parent, then she would have gotten pregnant. He wouldn't be running around with a bad crowd, or he'd be going to a better school if we had... Through the entire first half of his life, Jacob sought blessing everywhere else but God. Through his family, through his business, through the beauty of a woman, and that's what we do. We seek blessing everywhere except through God himself, which is why we're crushed then when our career tanks or our relationships fall apart because somewhere along the way, they came to define us. We began thinking that who, what we did or, 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 who, we, or who we had or, or, or is the source of blessing. And this is scary because you know what Jacob teaches us? It's possible to be a central character in the story of God and not go directly to him to bless you. It is entirely possible. Do you hear me? Christians, do you hear me? And this is why you must let him lame you. You must. Big idea number two, if you want to grow spiritually and become more like Christ. If you want to deepen your dependency on God's spirit, failure is essential. Some of you are like, I don't want to write this down. (laughs) Go back to our text here, Genesis 32. Um, Jacob's been using his wits. He's been wrestling with his father. He wrestles with his brother. He wrestles with Laban. But then comes a shattering moment in his life in Genesis 32 when he essentially gets jumped. The problem is, who's he get jumped by? He gets jumped by God. Look at this. So Jacob was left alone, and a man, what, wrestled with him till daybreak. Any wrestlers here? Okay, I wrestled a bit in, uh, in junior high, and uh, let me just tell you, I, I don't even have a story to tell you. I suck. And, but I can tell you this from practice. Wrestling, if you're really wrestling, like not just fooling around, pushing around, if you really wrestle, even 10 minutes is excruciating. Your muscles burn, you suck wind. It, it just, it literally, it, takes, it sucks the life out of you. He wrestled with him for hours and hours. 
until daybreak. In other words, Jacob goes through at this moment in his life a struggle that seems like it will never end. Anyone relate to that? You are going through a dark time that feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like God himself might be here to kill me. (laughs) But what's important is who Jacob is going to here to be blessed by. How do we know it's God? Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he what? He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the Hebrew word for touched here literally means like this guy literally reached out and went, and it shatters his leg, which means that this is a person of tremendous power who's actually been holding it back for some time. And secondly, Jacob says, I've got to go, or the man says, I've got to go before the sun comes up. And every Israelite, Jacob, knew that if you saw the face of God, you don't come back. You will not live and survive to see that day. Folks, what this is, is God reaching into Jacob's life at a pivotal moment and saying, you will go no farther under your own power until you match wits with me. You think you are strong? Test me. And this is where you have to admire Jacob. Because if you ever find yourself with God in the ring, you should be running the other way. But what does Jacob do? Look at the response. He what? He holds on for dear life. He draws in tighter than ever. He says this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He finally goes to his heavenly father directly and says, I don't want the blessing of my earthly father. I don't want it of my flocks. I don't want it of the girl. I want it of you, and I'm not letting go unless you give it to me. He's desperate. And this is hard because the truth is, if you want to truly be blessed by God, you have to let him lame you. The two go hand in hand, folks. The spiritual life is not one unbroken line of up and to the right. That's what the world calls successful. But God's more interested in you being useful than successful. Catch this? Because success in the world often leads to pride and arrogance and actually a lack of compassion for people who are struggling. And that ain't what God's after, okay? His version of being blessed has different markers. They're called humility, patience, compassion. And the only way he can forge that in our character sometimes is through pain or failure. And folks, this isn't God being cruel. I know there's something in me that doesn't even like this, but sometimes, like a good father, he needs to thwart our plans for success, for a larger purpose. Because he doesn't just want us to be successful at the expense of our soul. So he lames us. Not to hurt us, but to change us fundamentally from within. There's a book by a guy named Philip Keller. He is a rancher. And it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in it, he describes how in the Middle East, uh, working shepherds sometimes go through extraordinary measures to help a sheep who is prone to wander. You know, sheep are not that smart. They wander off. I love that God chose that metaphor to talk about us. And <laughs> sheep sometimes wander off and everything. But, but if one sheep in particular, that happens, if it keeps running away, keeps running away, the shepherd will intentionally take it and break its hind leg. I know. 
It seems terribly cruel, doesn't it? But see, it's not to hurt us. Because he said, you don't, people who aren't shepherds don't understand this. For the next four months, the shepherd has to carry that lamb in his arms. Closest to his heart, where it's warm. So that the sheep, the sheep can actually hear his heartbeat and he actually feeds him by hand. As the sheep begins to heal. Folks, the idea here is that while that sheep is healing, he's learning to actually trust the shepherd and stay close, and that the shepherd is good, and if he stays close, he will provide for him. And you know what? Guess what? When that sheep finally heals after about three or four months and begins to be able to put weight on it, guess where he goes? Nowhere the shepherd doesn't go. He just stays close to the shepherd, not out of fear, but out of love. Because he trusts the shepherd. That's the guy who fed me when I was wounded. He's the guy who healed me. He's the guy who was close to his heart. I was close to his bosom. Some of you right now, although you are lamed, you have never been closer to the heart of God than at this moment. And we kick against it. We say, let me down, let me down. Look, if you are an A typer and life has been up and to the right and your leg breaks, you think, why is God doing this to me? I'm better than this. I could be up doing a lot more and you get frustrated, but mark this, you are closer to the heart of God right now than maybe ever before in your life. He wants to draw you close to actually feel his heart, the warmth of his bosom. I want to, he wants to feed you from his own hand. And he's not being cruel. This is out of care and concern. And he wants to carry you for once in your life. You will walk again. You will walk again, I promise. But for now, trust the shepherd. He's allowing you to go through this because he wants to draw you closer than ever before. See, there's great blessing, folks, when we wrestle it out with God and let him lame us. Because we eventually heal, and you know what? We never walk the same way again, and I mean that in a good way, in a good way. Look at the text here. Through his struggle, Jacob undergoes this core change in his identity. Look at this. It says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, which means he deceives, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And you see the name Israel. Look at the footnote there. It means he who struggles with God. What would you rather be named? Deception? <laughs> Deceptor? Or one who struggles with God, who wrestles? In other words, God says, I am going to do an entirely new work in your life through this. The old you would never choose this. You would never allow for it. But now that I have your attention, I'm going to pull you closer than ever to my heart and remake you in my image. And you will rub up against me. See, when God pulls us close, it sometimes feels like we may be being crushed to death. But really, it's invitation to lean into him and never let go again. You get this? Wrestling is an apt metaphor because our failure gets us to engage with God in a way that it breaks the hold on all those other things in life that actually had a hold on us. Jacob said, if I get my dad to like me, I'll be blessed. If I beat my brother, I'll be blessed. If I have a beautiful wife, I'll be blessed. If I work for flocks or stocks, I'll be blessed. And God says, no, no, that's the way of Jacob the deceiver. But you have a new name. You are Israel, my chosen one. And I love you. And I want to bless you. You are the wrestler. I'd love to show a clip from that movie, The Wrestler. How many of you have seen that with Mickey Rourke? A broken man at the end of his life who reengages with compassion towards the family he's destroyed. The reason for this 
is because when we throw ourselves on God and let him lame us, he promises two things. One, to never let go. You'll realize in times of wounding that he's the only good thing you can actually rely on. And the second is you'll be changed forever. Through this experience, you may walk away limping, but you'll look more like who? Like Jesus. Because that's how the Savior walks all the way to the cross. The wounded healer. By his wounds we are healed. This is the fringe benefit of failure, folks. When we let God lame us, we learn to finally walk in Christ's footsteps. There are three benefits of walking with a limp. The first is that a a limp makes us humble. That's what J.K. Rowling said in her commencement address. She said this, Why do I talk about all the benefits of failure? Simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized and I was still alive and I still had a daughter whom I adored and I had an old typewriter and a big idea. And so catch this, she says, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. When you go lame, the inessentials all of a sudden get stripped away. We realize what is temporary and what has eternal value. We'd never choose to be lamed. But when we are, somehow all the old things that we thought maybe might kind of give us significance or save us, they fall away. You ever talk to somebody who has like a heart attack in midlife? They don't come back to work and say, whew, well, now I got this pacemaker. I'm still going 9 to 11. (laughs) So cranking it out, forget the family. They're just like, life is sacred. I'm going to have a waterfall in my office now (laughs) if they return at all. Because it shakes them out. The essentials get stripped away. When we wrestle it out with God, our pride gets shattered. And that's not a bad thing. And a limp creates a sense of humility in us. The thing that, the thing that we thought was going to kill us, ironically, is the very thing that saves our soul. Catching this. You catching this? Second thing a limp does is that it makes us patient. How many of you have ever had a pair of crutches? Yeah. <laughs> when you have a limp, you don't get around as fast, do you? Not so much. And that's hard. That's hard if you're wired like me, because that means you've got to slow down. And guess what? You actually learn to walk with God instead of getting out ahead of him. That's the Achilles heel of most A-typers, quite honestly, just an mo- honest moment. Um, we, have what, we have what we call a bias for action, like Jacob, right? God was with Jacob in the first half of his life. He said, I'm going I'm to make a whole nation actually through you. That was his promise to Jacob. And Jacob said, awesome, I still need to make it happen. <laughs> And he goes out and does all this stuff and, and because he thinks, I gotta make. have you ever approached your faith that way? I mean, maybe you prayed, think about how your prayers, because I did this very early on in all, most of my life. I went ahead and made plans, and then I would ask God, would you please bless that? Kind of as an afterthought. It's like if you're going to paint the house, thank God, I, I'm going to paint the house. And you go and you pick out the color, you roll the sides, you paint the trim, and then you step back and you go, man, look at that. And you're like, oh my goodness, I should have prayed. Jesus, what do you think of the color? You like God's kind of an afterthought, the P.S. But when we get lamed, guess what? We learn to be patient. God gets to go ahead of us because a limp slows us down. Functionally, we can't even run ahead anymore. We have to wait for God to lead us. So if you're going through a period of waiting, understand this right now. God is trying to draw you close. You need to lean in because he wants to teach you something. Maybe for the first time, actually, give you an experience of what it's like for him to go ahead of you. And invite you to come on one step at a time. Patience. 
is a fringe benefit, number two. And the final one is this. A limp teaches us to remember. Look at the last verse in the passage. Verse 32, it says this. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. That is, Jacob's failure became an object lesson to every generation after him. They remembered what happened here. You know what we call that? We call that leaving a legacy, parents. You know this. If you are a parent, you know that your kids watch how you handle success. But you know what? They learn even more from how you handle failure. Now, I'm not trying to put more pressure on, but right now, if you have hit rock bottom or you are in a time of struggle, understand this. Others are watching how you handle this right now. I'm not trying to add pressure, but right now you have a chance to powerfully communicate to your kids what it means to be completely dependent on God. So practically speaking, if you're going through a divorce or a breakup, will you trash your ex? Or if your career tanks or you're failing at work, do you go into a frenzy or does it draw you into deeper dependence, deeper prayer? And if you don't come out of the tailspin, would you be willing to downsize? Because you realize, you know what? This house isn't what makes a home. Understand how you respond to this challenge is what your kids will remember. Generations passed after Jacob wrestled it out with God because he finally said, I'd rather die than have anyone but you bless me. An entire people had their identity changed forever. Jacob became the nation of Israel. And from his line, our Savior, Jesus Christ, would come. And he came through failure. And he came to suffer and walk all the way to a cross, trusting the Father's hand to lead him. You get this. Christ walked forward, humbly, with a limp. That's our legacy, folks. That's our family. That's our calling. So here's my closing challenge to you. What's God trying to teach you today? I mean, what, where are you in your story? Are you more like the young Jacob? You use your own strength to find blessing. You need to come to Christ. And when we say give your life, I mean offer up and surrender your life and say, Jesus, live your life through me. If you are a Christian, are you still running ahead of, of God? Say, come on, God, play catch up with me as I go ahead my own plans and my own strength and bless me as an afterthought. Or are you more like the humbled Israel who ultimately surrendered God and said, even if it means a change in identity, I won't let go. I'll limp after you until you bless me. This is a crossroads moment for some of you right now. Today, you feel like you're wrestling with God and you're being lamed by him. And it may hurt, and it may feel like he's going to crush you, but mark this, he's trying to bless you. He's trying to bless you. He wants to give you a change of heart so that your heart will know and your heart can say at its core the words of your Father. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Let's read this together. All our campuses, can we stand up together? I want to read this out loud where it says, I delight. Let's stand up together. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Let's pray together. Father God, right now, look over these lives. Father, thank you for the truth that the only way to be spiritually successful is to fail. I pray right now for the situations that are right out now in this crowd, that people are facing the struggles, the pain. Would you reach in and bless and do an entirely new work in our life? Pry our fingers off of what we've been holding onto so tightly and let us clutch onto Jesus. Carry us close to your heart, Lord. Those who are brokenhearted, would you carry them tenderly as a shepherd carries a lame lamb. Bless them, Father. Feed them from your hand. Encourage them. Bind us up, Father. Bind us up. May we never leave your side and make us dependent on your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. God bless you guys.